that give the world to see Where the music's softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico now, I thought we were going to get a few more seconds there. Uh, anyway, there he is, Long John Bullfrey. Ah, well, you can have a few more seconds if you want. Yeah, please, a few more seconds. Okay, why not? Here we go. the sun in Mexico The love we had is just a shadow now Why did we ever drift apart? Just a taste of how it develops. I'm sure. See, we, as a Christmas treat, we should have um, we should have played the whole thing one night. Yeah. Um, maybe next Christmas, if we're still here, if, <laughs> if by some some haphazard chance we're still here next Christmas, uh, we'll we'll play it. Anyway, let's uh, it, uh, introduce, of course, our good friend Jonathan Bonfilio from Campeche in uh, Mexico. Uh, John, thanks uh, ever so much for joining us, and a very good evening to you. Good evening, good evening. I, I was under the impression that every day was Christmas on the Kellner graveyard <laughs> shift. But more or less, we, we treat it like that. So you've been in Baja, California. Um, tell me about Baja, California. Yeah, it's, um, apologies for not being able to uh, to join you guys uh, last night. I was listening to it as I was between uh, flights. So Baja California is in the northwest of the of the country. Um, a lot of people confuse it with because uh, obviously the word California oh, with the yes, fact that it's in, in the U.S. Yeah, but California actually extends up and uh, all the way through to Oregon, and Baja just means lower California. So the the lower section, the big peninsula that sticks out near the Sea of Cortez, remains part of Mexico. And California, California, which is now part of the U.S., was historically part of Mexico. Actually, a significant chunk of um, uh, of the USA uh, belonged to Mexico until not, mm, that, yeah. uh, not that long ago. Hence a lot of the, you know, the, the, the Spanish naming and so on. So, yeah, I was just up there with them. Um, uh, I mean, partly because it's, it's got Mexico's longest coastline and uh, its most its greatest number of NGOs. So, I'm up there every so often just uh, working on, um, you know, some environmental programs. And then up, up there this time, I was working with Sea Lion Rescue and then the Center for Biological Diversity Sea Lion Rescue, um, basically dealing with entanglement. So, you know, one of the great problems in the oceans, which is to do with the fact that uh, netting, uh, illegal use of netting, irresponsible mm. use of netting, ghost nets, which are thrown out into the ocean and just, uh, you know, death traps for all manner of, of animals and so on. And these guys, Sea Lion Rescue... Uh, try and get out there and um, and disentangle uh, a lot of these animals because they, they not not only do they get trapped in them and die but a lot of them grow into them so they end up uh, you know, having uh, horrendous uh, scars and so on and and the other one the Center for Biological uh, Diversity which in Mexico is headed up by a really interesting chap called Alex Oliveira who used to work with Greenpeace but they basically find um, poor government policy I guess both in the U.S. and Mexico and then find unusual or obscure laws that exist and litigate against, uh, you know, governments and uh, and companies with those. So uh, of the 300-odd people that work for that organization, the, the vast majority of them in, in the U.S., interestingly, about 280 are lawyers uh, researching strange wow. laws in order to, you know, try and make slightly better things happen uh, environmentally. So, yeah, uh, that's that's the, the raison d'etre as to why there was no Long John Baldry played on <laughs> Saturday morning. <laughs> Well, thank you. 
Yes, well, thank you very much, Neil, for going through all that. Are you having much progress? I mean, you know, you say it sounds to me like a fairly tortuous um, routine to have to go and find laws to stop these ghost nets and the other, you know, the other things that are affecting uh, the wildlife and all that. I mean, are you making much progress with these um, non-government organisations and things? Yeah, I, th I think it's really interesting because so these guys, the Centre for Biological Diversity, basically just make themselves a real pain in the backside for, uh, for, for, govern for governments. And in particular, they're able to do things. So, for example, at the moment, the most endangered, um, endangered marine mammal on Earth is the vaquita marina, the sea porpoise in the upper Gulf of California. And what, the, what they've managed to do there is actually uh, the man, managed to argue in a U.S. case that because of trade agreements between the U.S. and Mexico, that uh, the Mexican government is holding, uh, is working to reduced standards as regards protection, which mean, means that trade sanction, sanctions have to be brought in place between the U.S. and Mexico. So, and that's where it hurts because obviously Mexico exports a lot of, you know, wide variety of stuff to uh, to the US, but, it, but, it, but also fish and so on. So if, if an organization like that can actually, you know, make the case for and actually, um, engender significant changes in terms of public policy and especially kind of, um, you know, economic cross-border policy, then changes will, will happen. So, you know, is, is it something which is, uh, which is uh, improving environmental matters on a day-to-day -day basis and making Massive change, no, but but it is making you know low level change, and certainly making things much harder for for people to to perhaps not do the things you know which are which are broadly harming uh, the environment uh, elsewhere. The, the most obvious example of that actually is the the Trump border wall, which has affected so many cross border species, um, and actually you know there's a number of different international laws. Uh, in particular, because there's a there's a, a series of different um, uh, bio reserves in in that area, which which disallow uh, you know that kind of damage to to happen. So those kinds of that international legislation is what's being argued for by the Centre for Biological Diversity. Right. And now um, this sort of shocked me. You know, I was talking earlier on about uh, sticking a wedge of lime in the top of a bottle of sol because uh, presumably because there are loads of limes and they're very, you know, very common uh, item. However, uh, I'm told Mexico is having a bit of a crisis with the cost of limes uh, because the drug cartels have moved in on the product, which seems bizarre to me, you know, for yeah, drug cartels. Is there anything that the drug cartels don't have a handle on, really? I mean, it, the lime is probably uh, not just the most important uh, ingredient for your soul, Martin, but also the most important cooking ingredient in Mexico, you know, almost bar none with tomatoes and coriander and so on. And it is you know, de facto a billion dollar industry. And anything that is a billion dollar industry is going to alert the, the cartels to potential uh, profit making and there is not a soul i mean I, I bet there is not a soul in mexico who does not consume uh, lime uh, and the price of lime over, over the course of the last year january to january has tripled uh, partly because of a cold winter um, and then also a, a dry summer you know standard i guess kind of climate change divigations but then also because the cartels have, have decided to, to get involved um, there is there is a back catalog here um, i'm sure you will have heard of the fact that the cartels have track record with avocados in in Mexico in terms of price fixing and protectionism related to that, but basically it's classic mafia stuff which they've they've now 
you know, got involved with got involved with with limes, and that is affecting, you know, almost the entire proliferation of Mexico and Mexicans who are now complaining about the fact that the limes on their plates are much smaller, less good, uh, hyper expensive, and that is being felt, you know, on literally every dinner table uh, across the country. Wow. Wow. Um, I mean, I know they're quite expensive here, limes. Yeah, well, I suppose expensive by, by by our standards. And with the popularity of cocktails, we've always got we've always got limes around the house because uh, when my daughters are home, they like to mix themselves uh, cocktails <laughs> if they've become so expensive. <laughs> if we, you know, if we're actually financing the drug cartels by um, um, would it be exported? You know, the, the limes that are exported would they, I mean I presume the limes that we here haven't come from uh, Mexico. I assume they've come from um, Europe somewhere. I don't know. I, I mean, limes do tend to come from this part of the world. There is a, there is a broad uh, biological gap where, I mean, here they're known as lemons, but they're actually limes. So there's that, you know, that strange flip thing. But we don't get lemons here. We just get limes. So actually, you know, generally speaking, uh, most limes will come from uh, from from. Uh, from over here, so I would guess that a, a significant portion of what is exported over there does come from yeah. from here. I'd have to check the the provenance of it uh, particularly, but yeah, there is definitely always with any, you know with anything, whether it's meat in the in the Amazon and uh, or limes and avocados and, and cartels and so on. But as we've said before on your show, Martin, the, the fact is, you know, in in an economy and in a in a system and a country like Mexico or the Americas, I mean, even in the U.S., you know, the, the broad question is not. What do the cartels have their fingers? You know, which which pies do they have their fingers in? It's which ones they they don't. And and when, yeah. you know fundamentally they are the most successful uh, multinationals that exist in our time, and they're going to follow the money, which basically means that they are involved in everything from you know construction to deforestation to you know avocado growing and, and protectionism through to I mean yeah. again back going back to the the, the Gulf of California and you know, one of the big issues there one of the, the reasons why that the, the the vaquita, the sipo, is, is close to extinction is because the totoaba is being harvested up there and that the gallbladder, the cartels are harvesting the gallbladder of this big fish to export to China. So, again, you know, that's known as the cocaine of the seas. So that's another aspect of, you know, it's not a drugs. The cartels are not a, a drugs machine. They are a money machine. Wow. Just to finish with something a little bit lighter, um, this is uh, the new Liverpool signing who comes from uh, Colombia, uh, the winger Luis Diaz. Um, tell me a little bit about him and uh, what the Colombians reckon. I mean, I assume they're now watching uh, more Premier League football, certainly involving uh, Liverpool, because they'd be excited about his progress. Absolutely. The, the Colombian news agencies and the news cycle, the noticieros, right around, you know, from Bogota to the regions, are a little bit obsessed with Luis Fernando Diaz, uh, born in the small town of Barrancas, 38,000 people, largely a coal mining, uh, a tiny coal mining community, which I, I thought you'd appreciate uh, in terms of knowing that its average annual temperature is uh, is, a, is a balmy 28 degrees Celsius. Lovely. Um, yes, it is. Uh, You'll notice and, the change uh, yeah, in Merseyside. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, he, so he started his, his career in uh, in the town of Barranquilla with two two. Uh, two football teams there, Barranquilla and then Atletico Junior, before moving on to Porto, which is where you know, everybody really began to notice him, and in particular in the, in the matches between Liverpool and, and Porto, where, where you know which alerted Jurgen Klopp to, uh, I guess, to his skills, but also the kind of player that, that he was. But yeah, Colombia is 
um, is uh, wrapped, um, obsessed. I mean, it is the news story on the front and back pages, especially given his, you know, his his debut against mm. Leicester just a few days ago. Uh, he, he started playing for the Colombian national team about four years ago. He's got 30 odd. Uh, plus caps, but um, I guess he really came to international attention in the uh, in the Copa America in um, in 2021, where Colombia reached third place and he won the Golden Boot alongside Leo Messi. So definitely, you know, a huge bright prospect, but mm. uh, something which, if you are somewhere in Colombia at the moment and you switch on your TV or you turn on the equivalent of the Martin Kellner show, uh, this is what. <laughs> This is what people are going to be talking about, uh, bar nothing else. Yes, um, I'm not exactly sure what the Colombian equivalent of uh, my show is. There'll be. <laughs> I'm going to find out. I'm going to research it for next week. Yeah, if you would, if you would, there'll be somebody out yeah. there saying uh, three of El Spice Girls, etc. Goodness knows. Um, John, as always, thanks uh, ever so much. We'll talk again next week. All right. Take care. Cheers. Uh, there we go. Top man, John Bonfilio, joining us from Campeche in uh, Mexico.